This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen. Amen. Well, say fight with me. Man, here we are at the end of our spiritual growth campaign. Six weeks, we're at the end. Give yourselves a hand, all of you that are watching online, live stream. Thank you for being a part of our spiritual growth campaign. It's been uh, powerful, and we've been learning how to defeat this battle, this fight, the carnality, the sinful nature, the sinful man fighting against that which the Spirit wants to do. It's a battle for the heart. We are fighting for who's going to sit on the throne of our heart, and we are winning the fight. What some great topics we've been covering. Now, hey, let me take a moment and just celebrate a little bit of what has happened in the the spiritual growth campaign. It's a highlight for us every year. This year, we had 96 life groups. That's incredible. 96 life groups. Most of them were right here in South Florida. Three of them were out of South Florida. We call those GGG, grab, gather some folks and grow. Grab a kit, gather some uh, friends and family and begin to grow together. Three of them were out of our area. We had over 1,000 146 different participants, individuals that were in the life groups. That is incredible. Most of them were meeting by way of Zoom. Some of them were meeting in parks and homes. 47 of that 96 life groups were brand new groups. That's the highest new groups we've ever had, 46. I want to say thank you. To all of our life group leaders, those of you that serve uh, faithfully as a life group leader, the new life group leaders, if you're in a life group, just make sure you appreciate your life group leader. We had 177 brand new signups to life group. Man, I'm just telling you, it's been a great, great series. Now, I want to encourage you. If you joined a life group, you were one of those 177 brand new in a life group, stay connected. Stay in that group. If you were one of those 47 brand new groups, keep meeting, keep going, keep growing. When we come out of the spiritual growth campaign, we don't meet weekly now. We meet every other week. We take a few uh, months through the year uh, as a break as well. But in these last six weeks, you've formed some relationships. You've built some friendships. And I want to encourage you, just keep meeting together. Keep growing uh, together. The GGG groups, the grab, gather, grow groups. We had, uh, I believe it was seven, six or seven of them that were in South Florida, three of them that were in other states. Uh, I want to encourage you as a GGG group, a GGG leader, keep meeting, keep growing. Most of them were in the workplace. They were in cafes. Uh, They were out of the area. And so they grabbed some friends. Just keep growing with us. We have a great life group department that provides materials and resources and training. And we're going to just keep pressing on and we're going to see what God does throughout this year. It's been a fight, a fight for your heart, but I know that we're going to win from within. Give God praise and glory. Amen. Now, what we've been trying to show you over the last several weeks is that to win from within, it's not just about removing some things. It's about replacing what we are removing. We're replacing it. In fact, that's been the power of the life group. We told you, we're gonna, if we're going to win from within and we're going to win this battle, we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we've got to put on, say put on, the fruit of the Spirit. And so in the life group, we've been talking about how do you walk in the Spirit? How do you put on the fruit of the Spirit? How do you stay filled with the Holy Spirit where you're hearing what God wants to say? And so what are you replacing? What you're removing, you're replacing it with the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're going to come to one more topic that we're going to look at. And today's topic is the topic of envy, the battle of envy. Let's go to our key passage. It's in Galatians chapter 5. We've been reading it every week. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says this in the Living Translation. So I say to you, 
Let the Holy Spirit do what? Guide your lives. Will you just say, Holy Spirit, guide my life. Come on, say it. Holy Spirit, guide my life. If you do, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. We can all attest to that. It wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So Paul goes on to say, when you follow, verse 19, the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. He mentions two today that we're going to look at, and that is envy and jealousy. Wherever there is envy, James 3.16 says, you'll find every kind of evil. Today, we're going to be looking at it. They are very closely related, jealousy and envy. If we had one more week, we would also add a seventh because there is some we didn't dive into. And that is we would take one more week to look at disciplining our desires, disciplining our passions. Because Paul says at the end of verse 21, envy, and then he says drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. If I were to add a seventh week, it would be disciplining our desires. Maybe you want to dig that out on your own. But today, we're going to be talking about the battle of envy. Paul says jealousy and envy, and he links them together. They're an issue. It's a battle within the heart of every man. Father, I pray today as we open your word, Your word is anointed and we've opened it. We begin to look into it. We will study it today. And Father, my prayer for all of us is for illumination. Illuminate your word to our heart and our spirit. Father, your word is the divine teacher. Your spirit is the one that guides us and leads us. And today I pray that you will reveal your word to us. And all God's people said, Amen. If I had to define envy today, a very simple biblical definition is that one is jealous. They begrudge what others have. They're maybe even resentful that they don't have it. They covet. We're going to look deeper at that word. They desire. They're aspiring for. They wish for. They want. They yearn for. They crave. They're desiring that which they don't have, and it's something that somebody else probably has. The Bible doesn't paint a good picture of one that is jealous and envy. In fact, the Bible will show us that envy can make you be someone that is power-hungry, someone that's rude, someone that, that is sarcastic, that you're, you're stingy and you're, you're, you're spiteful, you're, you're stubborn, you're, you're pushing you might even be unforgiving or, 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 or someone that, that just does anything you can to get, maybe unkind, vain, to get what it is that you are desiring. It doesn't paint a pretty picture of this word. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy, envy is like cancer in the bones. So Proverbs would say, if we are jealous, if we have envy in our heart, it will eat away like cancer within you and I. Ecclesiastes 4.4 says it this way. I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. Why? It's because they envy the things their neighbors have. 
Maybe you saw the show. Maybe you flipped across it on the television. The, the TV show American Greed. Have you ever watched a clip of that? I can't watch it too long. But American Greed, I mean, it's the dark side of the American dream where money seduces and power corrupts and, and, and where there's a, a, a thin line between right and wrong and it gets blurred very, very fast. And he begins to highlight people that scam, they're murderous, they're greedy, and they, they do everything that they can. And it's a, it's a life, true life stories of individuals that allow envy and greed and jealousy to drive them to do what we could never imagine that we would do. The Bible will say that envy destroys It'll destroy friendships. It'll destroy family. It'll, it'll, it'll bring sibil, uh, uh, sibling, I should say, rivalry where, where there's bickering and fighting and, and it divides businesses and neighborhoods and even nations. I mean, it's this thrust, um, as I define it for us, of wanting more, desiring more, feeling like you've got to have more. I read to you in the definition that envy is linked to the word covet. Will you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Exodus 20, verse 17, we read the last of the Ten Commandments. The last of the Ten Commandments deals with this issue of coveting. You shall not covet, verse 17 of Exodus 20, your neighbor's house. You should not cover, covet your, your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Basically, he's saying in this commandment, his possessions, his status, his situation, his position in life, whatever it may be, don't covet it. You see, the problem with coveting is it's a battle that's within the hearts. Our attitudes, our motives, our, our, our actions, it's driven from within and it's very hard to see. Coveting can be linked to being envious and that is there's this uncontrolled desire to acquire, especially that of what somebody else has. So they go hand in hand, envying and coveting and we must deal with them together. Now, just like last week, when I dealt with selfish ambition, envy and jealousy in the biblical sense primarily shows us that they are things that, that are painted in a very negative sense because there is this push to covet and we envy and we want what others have. However, the desire to acquire in and of itself is not bad. Envy, jealousy, coveting, we've stepped into an area that becomes a sin, but the desire to acquire in and of itself is not bad. God put that in you and I. There's a desire, there's ambition, and when they're healthy and when they're normal, it's something that God has put within us. We work to live. In fact, the Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't have the right, you have to feed yourself. Can I hear an amen? You work to live. You save to build. I mean, we teach the rainy day principle, the oh no fund. You save up. You prepare for tomorrow because we don't know what will happen. And so we don't live in just the moment, but we work to survive and live and provide for our family. And yet we look into the future as we build for the future. The other day, I was walking through my neighborhood. I was uh, walking the dog. I told you, we picked up a dog a couple years ago. It's uh, my wife's empty nest uh, uh, replacement. And, uh, and uh, I have the duty uh, most days of walking the dog. She does walk the dog. She does feed the dog. But most days, I get the joy of doing that. And early in the morning, I was walking the dog. And the squirrels were out and they had their cheeks full with some nuts. And as their cheeks were full with their nuts, they were running to the grass and they were digging and they were planting their nuts. Now, my first thought is, how are they gonna remember where they put all those nuts? 
but somehow they will and somehow they do. But God put within little squirrels this desire to acquire and build up because there's a day that they're going to need it. It's not selfish ambition. It's not envy. I don't think. I don't know. I don't speak squirrel language. But there's something that is built within them. I'm watching the birds. We have woodpeckers, and they love in my neighborhood to not woodpeck on the trees but on the people's houses. And they're building little holes and getting up into their nest. And when that season comes, it's a few months away. When that season comes, they will be getting straw and, and, and hay or, or twigs. And, and I'll watch them fly up. And what are they doing as they're acquiring? They're building their nest. God's put all of that within us. This desire, and it's exciting how wonderful it is to, to see what God does, the good things, the desirable things that we work. And as we do, we, 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 we health in a healthy, in a normal way. We, 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 we make sure that we don't step over. And that's what we're looking at because anything that's uncontrolled is a problem. But if it's controlled, it's healthy, it's normal, and God has built that within all of us. But the problem is when it becomes uncontrolled, when the desires, when the ambition, when the envy and the jealousy begins to drive us and it's in the heart. And therefore, we've been looking at it. And I know, man, I applaud you. These are not topics that a lot of times are dealt with in church. They're not hallelujah. I go home and it's like nobody said amen. <laughs> But they're not the amen, it's a oh no kind of message, right? We're digging in and we're looking deep and we're saying, God, what has to be deconstructed? What has to be broken down so that we can put on the fruit of the Spirit and walk in the Spirit because then there is life and there's power for your glory. So as we look at this, let me take you to a New Testament scripture over in 1 John chapter 2 deals with this. John deals with this issue. In fact, John will say the proof that one really knows God, if one really will examine their life and know God, here is the sign if you really love God. If you're really filled with the Spirit and you're putting on the fruit of the Spirit, he says, here's the sign of it. Here's the proof that you really know and love God. First John 2 verse 17 from the living translation, stop loving this evil world. Now, world in this passage here is, I've told you many times, is the systems of this world. It's the values of this world. We are not of this world. We're of another kingdom. We're of God's kingdom. Can I hear an amen? And God's kingdom has different values. So here, John would say, how do you know if you really love God is which values are driving you? Is it kingdom values? Is it God's values? Or is it the values and the systems and the possessions and, and the passions and the influence that this world gives to you? Or is it that which God wants you to walk in? His spirit, his fruit, values of his kingdom. And so here in 1 John, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. Verse 16, for all these worldly things, these evil desires, the crave for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are what? Not from God. They are from this evil world itself who's controlled by the enemy of your soul, Satan. It's from this evil world itself and this world is fading away and these evil for, for, forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. So here in Exodus chapter 20 in the 10th commandment and here in 1 John, we see some categories that we've got to begin to understand that envy can fall into. The first category is the category here that it says the category in Exodus 20 and, and, and in 1 John 2 is the category of the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh are the passions of the flesh. 
the physical passions. In fact, it says, do not covet your neighbor's wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, this is dealing with that which you see, you hear, you touch, you smell, you feel. It's, it's dealing with the passions of the flesh. Galatians 5 has been dealing with it, and we've been, we've been walking through it. And so what this 10th commandment would say, and 1 John would say, don't love the things of the world and the ways of the world. All the shows that we're watching on television today is saying, run after the passions of your flesh. It doesn't matter if they're married. It doesn't matter if they're saved. If they look good, it feels good, go for it. And the Bible would say, no, 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 don't go there. Those passions and the lusts of the flesh are the very things that will entrap you. Can I just get an agreement. Don't even daydream what it would be like to be married to that person's spouse, that wife, that husband. Don't even go there. Don't even begin to think, oh, she's so much more spiritual or he's so much more spiritual than my husband. Oh, I wish my spouse would be able to do that. The Bible says don't even go there. Doesn't mean, doesn't matter. They may seem like it's better, they're more pretty or handsome or whatever it may be, but the Bible says this are passions of the flesh and passions of the flesh are sin. You see, the problem with envy is that envy and coveting doesn't stay inside. The problem with envy and coveting is it wants to manifest itself outwardly. It won't stay inward long before it begins to find a way because it starts in the mind and in the thought. And as it gets into the mind and the thought, then you begin to rationalize. And as you begin to rationalize, you will compromise. And once you compromise, you're gonna step into sin. And the moment you step into that sin, you've brought the enemy into your realm into your heart, into the issue. And in that, if you don't repent and turn away from it, it becomes a bondage and a stronghold. And it's then that you begin to drift in your love and your relationship with God. Man, I wish I could walk through that again. I have a graphic that shows you. It starts though in the mind and in the heart and in the attitude. And when you begin to think about it, when you begin to lust for it and envy for it, all of a sudden envy begins to push itself to find a manifestation on the outside. If you ever go with us to Israel, you will come with us to the place of David's palace. When we come to David's palace, you will see that David's palace is on one side of the Kidron Valley. And on the other side of the Kidron Valley is also uh, where the temple would have been. That's why David would come out and he would see the glory of his palace and his temple. And he would look across the Kidron Valley and see that God's house did not have a house. It didn't have a temple. And God drove him to build uh, the plans of the temple that would be across the way. But one time we find in scripture, David comes out on the terrace of his balcony. Maybe it had a little bit too much wine. Maybe it had a night where he, you know, he just took in a little bit too much relaxation and, and his temptation was, was lowered. Uh, uh, the temptation was heightened and, and his flesh and his will to overcome it was lowered. And he comes out and we know that he looks out and he sees a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba. Now, when he looks at her, he begins, it wasn't the first look, by the way, that got him in trouble. It was the second look, the third look. He began to gaze upon her. The Bible portrays her as a beautiful woman. It's interesting when you read in Proverbs, go and find it. When you read in Proverbs, it shows us that, that it's believed Bathsheba is writing one of the Proverbs and she's talking to men and she lists all the issues that David had. And she speaks against them. It's something that, that, that she knew within herself was not right. And yet in that day, there was a kingly privilege. And kings had full, total authority that was completely unchecked, uncontrolled. You know, nobody controlled it. They did what they desired. It was the kingly right. He sees this beautiful woman. He's another man's wife. It's one of his officers in his military and he calls for her and he commits adultery with her and she becomes pregnant. We know the story well. Now David trying to act like he is this you know, this, this, this savior, this healer, right? This, uh, this hero, maybe it's a better word. He calls for her husband when he finds out that she is pregnant from the battlefield. Now David should have been out at the battle. 
And by the way, that's where envy and lust and temptations usually manifest themselves is we're not where we should be. We're not doing what we should be doing. And by the way, a lot of times it happens at night. (laughs) So go to bed early and you'll find you'll walk a much more godly life. (laughs) I'm just saying, where do you get in trouble, ladies? Is when you go out late at night, you go to that place where they're all hanging out, you have a few drinks late at night. I don't need to go any further, right? It just, you just get yourself in trouble. But here he is, he tries to act like he's the hero. And so he brings her husband from the battlefield. He brings her back, he, he, uh, him back, he, he commends him, he praises him for, well, for the battle that's taking place. He gets him drunk and he encourages him to go and, and have relations to be with his wife. Well, Uriah had too much integrity and honor to, 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 to go when he said, my men, are my, my comrades are out on the battlefield. They're fighting and they're risking their lives. He sleeps on the porch. I mean, as a drunk man, he had more integrity than David did. And yet we see the honor that was there. So David realizes his plan is not going to work. So now he's got to concoct another plan. And what was that plan? He's going to send Uriah back to the battlefield. They didn't have text message, email, and all of that of that day. Uriah had to carry his own death sentence. And as he's going back with the own death sentence, it would have had the kingly seal on it. I've got a seal that I picked up from uh, 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 Jerusalem, Israel, when we were there. It's a cool thing. And when that seal was there, it was not allowed to be broken in any way. If it was broken and you were the carrier of the orders, you would be murdered. You would be killed because you would have opened the kingly seal. So Uriah has no idea of knowing what's going on. So he's carrying the battle. He takes the battle plan. He gives it back to the the generals. The generals open it. And as they see what's written, that is to put Uriah on the front of the battle where it's the hottest, where the battle is fighting the greatest and the most intensity is there. Why? It's because he would be assured to be killed in battle. Now, why was that David's plan? Because if Uriah is killed in battle, David can step up to try to cover his sin. And to cover his sin is to become the one that takes this poor grieving widow who's lost her husband, who's pregnant. The husband was one of his battle captains. I can imagine, the story doesn't go into what took place, but I can imagine that there was some things that were talked about. And David steps up to try to conceal his sin. See, what am I saying as to you and I today is the passions in our heart, the lusts of the flesh. We cannot hide them and conceal them. We've got to undig them. We've got to allow the Lord to cleanse them, to break the bondage of the passions that would drive us and learn to discipline those desires. And so we see the story with David. He breaks, he breaks four commandments and it all starts with coveting in his heart. He was envying another man's wife. A second category that we see, the first is passion. The second is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes deals with possessions, those external attractions. I mean, in the in the Ten Commandments, don't covet another man's ox and donkey and house. I mean, these are just tools. These are possessions. These are things that they would have had. Don't covet. In fact, we look all the way back into the book of Genesis and we see, we see this taking place in the very beginning with Eve where the fruit was pleasing to the eyes. Now, I can probably assure you, anybody in this auditorium, probably most in South Florida, are not coveting your neighbor's ox. You're not coveting your neighbor's donkey. That is not our issues today. But we do have issues today. That new car, that new model, that sound system, those speakers, that TV, some kind of material blessings. A new iPhone just come out. I think, what is it, 25 coming out now? You know, that new iPhone. Oh, oh, I heard it the other day. The new PlayStation. 
I got some people around my circle, they love gaming, and it's that new PlayStation. What's wrong with your old PlayStation? <laughs> they don't answer that one. Well, you know, it's a little faster. It's this, it's that, it's that. What, what do we do? We, we're going forward. For a farmer, it might be a new tractor. For a fisherman, it might be a new boat. For the elderly, it just might be a new recliner, like somebody else's recliner. I don't know what it is, but it's the, it's the possessions that drive us. Now, remember, let me go back to what I said. Acquiring in and of itself is not bad. Ambition is not bad. The couple that buys a starter home, there's nothing wrong with desiring to get a bigger place, maybe to get a nicer place. You started where you're at, and as you're working, as you're saving, as you're investing, you are growing in your relationship, in your marriage, in, in, in life. There is nothing wrong until we step into the area that we're envying, we're coveting. You go into another's house. You go into somebody else's place. You see what they have. You get into their car, and all of a sudden, you're coveting, desiring, envying and wanting it position self-centeredness self-sufficiency this haughtiness someone's status someone's recognition someone's honor someone's lifestyle here the ten commandments says uh, uh, another's servants uh, male servants female servants these are their employees it would be like talking to a businessman or a businesswoman and you hear that they have multiplied now they have 10 stores they have a hundred employees they're going public whatever it is you begin to envy where they're at their productivity how their job their career their position their salary is progressing them now, do you know that advertisers, they understand this and they create within each and every one of us a dissatisfaction in one of these three areas that pushes us to spin, to spin, to spin so that we can get satisfaction or joy or happiness in these areas. So if this is what the Bible says about envying and coveting, then we've got to shift gears and we've got to say, what does it mean for us today? And so for us today, write it down. The, in, the antidote to envy is contentment. Say contentment. Contentment is I'm fulfilled. I'm complete. I'm satisfied. There's not something that drives me to envy, to jealousy, to, to these desires that I must have, to selfish ambition. Look with me over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse six, Paul saying to young Timothy, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness with contentment, God's answer is contentment is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. I've never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. We can't take it with us. You didn't bring it with you. You're not going to take it. And he says, so be content. Contentment with godliness is great wealth. You didn't bring it in. You can't take it with you. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, for most of us that are listening to this message today, you have enough clothing you have enough clothing if your closet is like my closet you can't even put a new shirt in your closet I found a shirt the other day that still had the tag on it I was like when did I buy that shirt maybe my wife bought it I don't know but we have enough to be Content, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped. I'm slowing down because it's so powerful. They fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money, it's not, it's not money, it's the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Contentment is the antidote. In a world that says and drives us to be discontent, that makes us feel unfulfilled, that makes us feel dissatisfied, empty, lonely, and restless, can I tell you that contentment is something that we learn? If you're gonna tweet today, that's the tweet. Contentment is something to learn. It's not natural, it doesn't come automatic. You write it down, you tweet it out, you remember it. Contentment is something we learn. Hebrews 13, five, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You work, you invest, you make money, you provide for your livelihood, that is all good, but be content with what you have. For he has said this, the Lord, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Be content with who I am for you. Be content with what you have in me so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, therefore I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because Lord God is near. So I learned to be content. So in our final moments, I wanna give you four simple closing thoughts. I invite our worship team to come on back. Four simple closing thoughts. The first how do you learn to be content? What's the key to contentment is to resist comparing myself to others. Say resist comparing. Oh, that was not good. Resist comparing myself to others. Stop comparing yourself with others. Why? It always leads to coveting. And boy, can I tell you, when you start comparing yourself with others, it also leads to great insecurity. Because people put out the best of who they are and what they do and their life and you begin to compare the normalcy of your life to the greatness of their life and it builds an inferiority and an insecurity in you. Why can't I have that? Why can't we do that? Why can't we have that kind of vacation? Why can't this and that and that and that? And it begins to drive you. And as you're comparing with other, it leads to coveting and insecurity in your life. And social media is the worst. We never feel like we're enough. We always question our appearance. There's always accomplishments and things in our life that we see in others. And it constantly pushes us under this thumb, this thumb of pressure. And it makes us push and push and push. And I believe it leads us to sin. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, do not dare classify or compare yourself with others. So you see someone get a nice car, a new car, that brand new model that's come out. That's something that we can say, wonderful, it's great. But we don't drive ourselves to say, I've got to get it because I feel like I will become something when I get that certain vehicle or thing. Nicer house, furniture, whatever it may be, I make sure that I'm not comparing because my wealth and my possessions, they don't determine my worth and my value. Here, Paul reminds us it's in the Lord. First Timothy chapter six, verse nine, another scripture from Paul. Paul says, when we long to be rich, we are prey to temptation. We get trapped into all kinds, we read earlier, foolish and dangerous ambitions which eventually plunge us into ruin. So the secret of contentment I've got to learn is it's not in my money, it's not in my possessions, and therefore I refuse to compare myself to others. The second key to learning contentment and growing contentment in my life is to rejoice and give thanks in what I do have. To appreciate what God has given and to be grateful for those blessings in my life. Instead of what I don't have, what didn't happen, no, I'm grateful for what God has given to me. I'm thankful for what I do have. Because the reality is there's many that wish that they would have your situation and my situation. And therefore, we've got to be thankful for where God has us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, isn't everything you have and everything you are 
sheer gifts from God. So what's the point of all this comparing and competing? You already have all that you need. You know what the problem is, is we don't believe it. We don't believe we've got all that we need. Society and advertise, I can't even say it, ad, ad, I can't say it. Not even try. They're convincing us you don't have everything you need. They're convincing you that, that there's more, there's something different, there's this and that, and it's driving us. And therefore, Paul's saying to you and I, we must learn to be content. A secret in life is to learn that happiness isn't getting whatever you want, but happiness is enjoying whatever you have. Can I say it again? If you're going to tweet, Another tweet, this would be it. Happiness isn't getting whatever you want, but enjoying whatever you have. Why is that important? It's because the myth of envy is that if you have more, you'll be more happy. You'll be happier. The more you get, the happier you will be. And therefore, you get to feeling like you have to have something. You have to get that or you don't feel like you're going to be happy. Well, happiness is emotional, but joy is in the Lord. And when I understand where my joy is, then everything changes. Thirdly, I know our time is slipping away. Thirdly, to learn to be content. And boy, this is powerful is to release what I have to help others. We've become a society that hoards and keeps. Boy, all through the New Testament, it says, help others, share with others, give to others. I remember hearing the story from a a pastor, and he was sharing about how God had blessed their life and and uh, they moved to a new house and they got a lawn service in their new house. That they didn't have to cut their lawn, he didn't have to trim the trees and edge anymore. That he had a lawn service that was taking care of that for him. But all of his lawn equipment sat in the garage. And one day when he drove home and he opened the garage and he saw all that beautiful lawn equipment, the Lord says, if you keep it, I'm going to make you use it. Because the question is, why do you need it? I've blessed you with this lawn service, so bless somebody else with your lawn equipment. He said the next day he gave it away. (laughs) I think I would have too and get rid of that lawn service or have to do it myself. But when I release what I have, I share it with others I'm learning, here's the key, remember, I'm learning to be content. By the way, a key to this growth pattern of learning to be content is what's called delayed satisfaction. When that new iPhone 25 comes out, you're good with your iPhone 13 or 12. Delayed gratification. Gratification, why do I need it? Why do I need that PlayStation 5 if I've got the 4? Why do I need that new car? Why do I need these clothes, this shoe? Now, now if there's good reason, that's good. But delayed gratification slows you down to check your motive. Enables you to process it. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong. You might need that iPhone, this and that and that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we check our motive. We don't do it out of envy. We don't do it out of coveting. We don't do it out of selfish ambition. But when we learn to share with others, God doesn't bless you and I for our benefit. He wants to bless you so that we can be a blessing to the nation and we can bless others. And can I tell you, God is watching yours and I's generosity. If he blesses you with a new job, how are you honoring him? 
If he blesses you with a new book, if he blesses you with an album, if he blesses you with a new job and a new career, with a new home, the question is, can he trust you with his blessings? Can he trust you? That desire to have more followers, why? What's the motive? Can he trust you if he allows you to have a greater influence? People would call it fame. I call it influence. If you have a greater influence, can he trust you with it? With that new job, that bigger house. I mean, you've been praying for the bigger house. I guarantee you, you start saying, God, I'm going to dedicate it to you. I'm going to let it be a place for life groups to meet. I'm going to let people come and fellowship in this place. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, God will begin to make a way. The problem is we forget the promises that we make to God. We forget. We tell God. Some of you have already told God, I'll use this house for you, and you're not. It's just like the pastor with the lawn equipment. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. I know my time has slipped, but I got to release this. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Tell those who are rich. Now you're sitting there saying, oh, that gets me off the hook. I'm not rich. But you know, to, to the world outside of America, you're rich. You're rich. Man, my family comes from Hungarian backgrounds and roots. I can tell you, I'm rich compared to many that are living in Hungary. From those of you that have come from different nations and country, you're rich compared to many that are back home. For some of you, you're the one that's been sent to America to help provide and to be a way to support, and you're rich in their eyes. I'm not just twisting it. You are rich in the world standards. You may not feel like it, but tell those who are rich not to be proud. Don't be proud of your wealth. Don't think you're better. Don't trust in your money. Don't put your trust there. You can lose it tomorrow. You can lose it tomorrow. Don't put it in your wealth. Don't be proud for it. Don't trust in it. Why? Because it could be gone. Tell them, the rich, to use their money to do good. Use it. Don't waste it. To give happily to those that are in need. Always with others, whatever God has given to them, help them in need. By doing this, you'll be storing up real treasure for yourself, the rich in heaven. Because it's the only safe investment for eternity. Will you make a goal in your own life? And that goal is to say, God, increase my generosity. Let me give. Let me share. If you haven't started with tithing, that's the place to start. But you go far beyond it. And when you do, you're learning to be content. I guarantee you, whatever you give to God, that which you do in the name of the Lord and you share with others, you'll never miss it. God will always, always restore it. He'll always give you more because you become the channel of his blessing. But the problem is, is we live tight-fisted and God says, oh, live open-handed. Share with others. Make that your goal. And as you do, you will learn to be content. And lastly, I want to encourage you, focus on what's going to last. Maybe I should say refocus. Refocus in on eternity. Refocus on what's going to last for all of eternity. You're not getting your dream. You're not reaching your goals. Things aren't happening. That's okay. Trust God. Keep walking towards it. Keep believing. Keep serving God. Keep living for God. Keep tithing. Keep being a kingdom builder. Keep building the kingdom of God. Keep sharing with others. Learn to be content. And I guarantee you, as you refocus in on what will last for all of eternity, all of a sudden things will begin to turn in your own life. A sign that I'm becoming envious is I'm saying, it's not fair. Why do they get it? Why do they have it? How did they get that? And all of a sudden, it's gripping me. For all of you that are in life group, I encourage you. In your life group, talk about what's going to last for eternity. 
talk about how does this apply to the message that we're looking at today and all of our messages. And as you begin to talk about it, all of a sudden, it'll change your perspective. Let me close with this simple story I read. There was a funeral taking place in Beverly Hills. It was a wealthy widow who was worth millions and millions. She died. People gathered around the edge of the casket to say goodbye. And somebody said, isn't it so sad? She had so much to live for. And the person next to her said, no, she had so much to live on, but she had nothing to live for. My challenge to you is what are you living for? Are you fighting? Are you desiring to win from within? Is there a determination to let the Spirit of God fill your heart to put on the fruit of the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit? If there is, I guarantee you that you're going to become victorious. We sing about it. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. I guarantee that you will be victorious. Will you bow your heads with me across this room? Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. But today, God, I pray as we come to the end of our series, there's some that have been following, listening, participating that are here today. And if they were honest, they have nothing to live for. Oh, they've been living on this or that. They've been pursuing this and that. But the truth of the matter is they have no purpose in life. They, they have no true understanding of the meaning of why you came and died and rose from that grave. So today I pray that God, by your spirit, in this service and across the, the, the stream today, that if there's individuals here today that are to a place that they're saying, God, I want to live for you. I want to find meaning and purpose in my life. I, I, wanna, I wanna come to a place, oh God, that I can learn to walk in you and be everything that you desire. I wanna honor you and live for you. Fill me with your spirit and help me to walk in your spirit. It starts and it begins by making a commitment to you, to asking you to come into their heart, to forgive them of their sin, to break the power of sin over their life so that they can begin to walk victorious in their life. Today, I pray, God, that as they re-examine their priorities, as they ask questions, what have I been living for? What's gonna happen when I die? Father, today, I pray that they come to this place of realizing that their sin that separates them, the sin separates them from walking with you and being all that you desire for them to be. And today, I pray that they will yield, they will surrender. They'll quit trying to fight in the flesh and in the natural. And they'll ask your spirit to come into their life, to forgive them of sin, to break the power of sin and give them strength to walk anew in you. If you're here today, you're listening to me on, online, in this live stream, or you're in the auditorium, and you would say, Pastor, I know my life is not right with God. I know my life is not right with God. I know that things aren't where they need to be. And today I wanna to get my life right with you. If that's you and you wanna make a commitment to the Lord, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray with me. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.